<laughs> Good morning. I can honestly say that's my favorite thing about me as well. <laughs> uh, on another note, I'm actually slightly bitter uh, that Anna gets to make that announcement, mainly because last year I was the one that was told to make the announcement about Trunk or Treat, and they put me on a video in a baby costume, which there was no, she was not wearing any costume, which is, that's, that's unfair, and you guys continue to remind me about that video as well, so I'm just glad I don't have to do it again. Uh, but it's great to be with you today. Again, my name's Ryan, privileged to help run the college ministry here at the chapel, and I help out in junior high as well. And I love uh, coming on Sunday mornings and getting to open up the word at big church. That's what we call it in the college ministry uh, and in middle school. So uh, a really a privilege of mine. And uh, maybe <clears throat> some of you haven't heard or haven't seen, but me and my wife have entered a new chapter of our life. And that is about three months ago, we gave, uh, she gave birth to our... <laughs> Our first, his name is Matthias, yes. Matthias James is his name. He came four weeks early, so he's a little pipsqueak. Uh, at five pounds, we love him. Uh, but it's kind of funny to see three months later, he's Chunky McChunkchunk. So yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so we love him. Kind of a little funny story. I think I can tell this story, which is probably, Tony would say, don't tell that story if you think, if you think about it. But when I was, uh, when Hannah was delivering him, uh, right before that, two days before he came, I was sitting at lunch with a friend of mine, and I said, hey, give me some advice of what to do in the labor room, because I honestly have never been there before. And the guy looked at me and said, listen, when they give you the scissors to cut the umbilical cord, cut hard and cut fast, just one snip. And I'm like, that's your advice? Like, not pray or something? Like, cut hard and cut fast? I'm like, okay, thanks. And it was funny because after that lunch, he was supposed to come four weeks later, but he came two days after. And I'm sitting there, and they call me over, which that was a traumatic experience in itself. Uh, way more for her than me, of course. But I was sit they call me over, and they have the scissors, you know? And they, they hand me the scissors. And for some reason, I froze, and I said, <laughs> Maybe you guys did that. You did that as well. And then they like, they didn't even say any words. They were just trying to hand me the scissors. And again, I said, <laughs> and they forced it into my hands. They, and I'm like, oh boy, uh, this isn't what I expected. And I went and I remembered his words, cut hard and cut fast. And so I went to snip. And I was, again, kind of a strange story, but I did, not, I did not cut the umbilical cord all the way. And the tech beside me looked at me and said, Really? Like, any type of masculinity I had in that room just fluttered out because I couldn't, I couldn't. So kind of embarrassing, but uh, all that to say, <laughs> we love them. Uh, and it has been a, it's been a learning experience to say the least, but very worth it. So a privilege. Uh, my time here is not to tell you about being a dad because you guys know more about that than me. Uh, many of you do. Uh, but it's, if you've been with us these past weeks, we have been walking through what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, and we're kind of in the beginning stages of this journey together. And, uh, and you've seen with Doug, kind of the heart of what we started at was to see how really God created the world with an intended purpose. And he created the world with an intended purpose for me and for you, that there is a way 
that we should interact, that he created us in a way that we should interact within ourselves. And we've been using a chart to show that. He created us with an intended purpose of how we interact with other people. And then he created us with an intended purpose of how we are to interact in this world. And for a time, humans lived in that intended purpose as we were made to live. But one day they looked at God and they said, no, no, no. I don't want to go what, I'm not going to do what you desire. I'm actually going to do what I want. I'm going, to, I'm going to make decisions based off of what I want, not what you want. And we see the nature, the evil nature entered the soul of humanity. And what sin began to do is unravel and shatter God's intended purpose. And if God had a, if God had a pur- which he did, have a purpose for us to interact with in ourselves and other people in the world, what sin does is slowly unravel that. And a couple weeks ago, we talked, we talked about that. We saw this chart shoot up as well about how now it, we used to have peace and our inner man was made as God wanted us to, but now we have shame and guilt and anger and all this turmoil in our heart. And we look at our relationship with others and instead of unity, we, we can see a lot of division, brokenness and tension with other people. And we, and we looked at how the world is broken as well with disease and famine and all of these things. And there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. The world is broken. And what's interesting is the people of the world those who don't even believe in Jesus would not argue with, with us about that either. If you were to go up to someone on the street and say, hey, the world's perfect, right? They'd laugh at you, kick you in the shins and keep going. Like, no, it's not perfect. And the, the world in itself does not argue with us here. They would look at us and say, yeah, relationship with inside of me, that's broken. Others broken. World is broken. And we have a problem of we have a world that is unraveling, a world that is broken, and even the world itself is trying to fix it. They not only know it's broken, but they want to fix it as well. When I was, uh, I came and interned here at the chapel back in 2017 under Bill Winton in the middle school ministry, my first interaction with CFC. And uh, I lived up in South Carolina, so when I came down, I stayed with the family here at the chapel, and I love them to death. And they had a, a little son named Riley, and Riley was mobile, he's a little guy, and his parents were, were teaching him this principle of how to give people privacy. Because you can imagine, you can imagine a, a little kid that has a lot of access in his home to just open doors and walk in. But when a stranger comes to live, <laughs> you can't just walk into a stranger's bedroom, right? And so he's a little guy. You got to give people privacy. And in, their, in the bathroom upstairs, they chose not to lock the door because of a fear. He, he might get locked and something would happen and whatnot. And you might see where this is going because within the first week, I'm sitting doing my business and all of a sudden, the door swings open and Riley like sticks his head in and makes eye contact with me which that was weird in itself. <laughs> and then he cups his hands and he extends them to me. And he says, hey, Mr. Ryan, here's your privacy. <laughs> and he puts whatever, nothing was in his hands, but he puts my privacy on the ground. He closes the door and then he walks out, <laughs> right? Here's your privacy. <laughs> and I was caught between this weird feeling of awkwardness and that's the most adorable thing I've ever seen, right? <laughs> But what, the funny thing about that, the irony about that, is Riley wanted to obey his parents so much, he wanted to sincerely give me privacy, but he did not know what it was. 
He did not know what it was. And yet he wanted to give his best shot at it. What he knew, he tried to give it. But, but again, the irony is that in his best attempt to give privacy, he actually did the opposite thing, right? And this is, this is the true principle of the world, that they do not understand how a world can be made whole again, how a world can be uh, made, being brought back to what God intended for it to be, but man, they cup their hands and they give it their best shot. They, they, have, they have so many ways that they believe will fix, will fix the world, but just as, just as Riley didn't understand what privacy was, his, his attempts did the opposite. So too does the world do that as well. And, and what's interesting is in their, in their attempts to fix an unraveled world, they have removed God from the equation. They, they've swiped them aside. No, you can't be real. All right, time to roll up our sleeves. Time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Let's fix, let's fix this world. And, but what we see is their attempts never do it, right? When it comes to the relationship within ourselves, the world looks at the turmoil in our heart and says, you're right, it's broken. And just like Riley, the world cups its hands and says, here's one thing we can offer you. Uh, take Take self-help books. Take something that, that will make you believe that you, can, you are empowered to be the best you were meant to be, right? Read this book of seven best practices to live your best life. But the truth of the matter is, it does the opposite of solve the turmoil in our heart. I had a buddy of mine who, before he met Jesus, he said self-help books were his scriptures. They were the means at which he lived. And he said, it was interesting, he basically said, what they did to him was give him an injection of hope, make him believe he was empowered to be who he was made to be, but he said that, that injection of hope drained within seven days. And so the seven best practices to live your best life is done in seven days. And he said, at best, it was a Band-Aid to the turmoil in my heart. He said, none of it was bad, it just, it distracted me from the real problem. And so in the, in the attempts of humans, we, we, we come up short when we try to fix the turmoil in our own heart, and we see this principle arise that when we remove God out of the equation, my relationship with myself will stay in turmoil. Maybe it'll be band-aided, right? Maybe it'll, I'll be distracted a little bit, but it'll always be true. These, these things inside of me that shouldn't be will be because I am not going to the one that actually can solve it. But the world doesn't just, the world doesn't just look and see the brokenness in my own heart. We, the world sees the brokenness in all of our hearts and how we interact with one another. And we, and we see this play out as the world often will cup its hands and say, hey, for the broken relationships in your life, here's the best psychology for the broken relationships between countries. Here's money to build committees to stop wars. And here's, here's a bunch of resources to help ease the pain of wars. And none of these things are bad in any regard. I hope we take place, I hope we take a part in some of these things. But these things will not, will not solve a broken world, will not cause people to live as they were intended to live. At best, they are a band-aid. We even see this in, in a lot of uh, big counseling pushes. In today's time, it's pursue what makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, go that way. And I have a, a buddy of mine who, 
Uh, he was in marriage, having a tough time early on. And he, he went to a counselor, a family friend, and the counselor said, hey, are you happy? My buddy said, no, I'm not. The counselor looked at him and said, then just leave. Leave the marriage. And he was a believer and like he left because he like, I'm not doing that. But that, and, and it, it, the intention of that person was good. However, what was offered to him was going to be the opposite of solving the broken relationship with their spouse. And at best, it's not even, it's not even a band-aid to, to believe that you're not happy, so just if you leave, that broken relationship won't be broken anymore. No, it'll be broken, you just won't be around it as much. It does not solve, does not solve the problem. And so uh, we continue to see this, that when God is removed out of the equation, my relationship with others will stay broken. Maybe, I'm not, I'm not saying these things that the world gives are inherently wrong. They, they can be helpful in this world, but they do not solve the big question of how can I live with another as I was made, as I was made to live. We see this show up as well. The world sees how broken the, the world is, earth, and, and they cup their hands and say, hey, here is medicine for your sickness, right? Uh, here is satellites for the storms, and here's PTO for that job you hate, right? But what's interesting, those don't solve the problem of a broken world, because medicine, medicine just delays, right? Satellites just warn, storm's still coming, and PTO just distracts. None of those things actually do the job of reconciling me to live in a world like God made me to live. And, and so that we may, and I, I recognize this in myself, that I may shake the finger at the world and say, shame on you for removing God out of the equation and trying to fix it yourself. But the, but the finger I sway can honestly be pointed back to me, that I've done the same thing. I've looked at the I've looked at the problems inside of me, rolled up my sleeve, removed God from the equation, and said, I'll do it myself. I can fix this myself, right? I've looked at broken relationships with, with friends or people that were friends and said, it'd just be easier to cut them off so that I don't have to deal with it. I, their personality just doesn't match up with me. I, I'm not gonna deal with them. Remove God from the equation. And I've, I've lived... I've lived in jobs and, and even schooling apart from God. And what happened was a depressing routine that I just lived for milestones. And PTO was what I strove for. And, 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 this, and these things of the world that I've even offered to myself, they do not help. If anything, it, it reveals a tendency of us to try to escape brokenness, right? Like, uh, I know PTO many times, people will say, I hate my job, I hate what I'm doing, but if I can just get to the, get to the P, uh, PTO, to, if I can just get to that week, then I can escape. And then I get back and I work my tail off for another year so I can get back to that vacation and escape. And we try to escape in many other different ways too, whether it be substances or whatnot, but the reality is we, we can't escape a, a broken world. And if we want to remove God from the equation, and roll up our sleeves and give it our best shot, do you know where we will end up? What will be our conclusion? I, I read these words from a preacher who lived a long time ago. He said, I've seen the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The truth of the matter is, when we remove God from the equation, 
my relationship with the world will be vanity. These things that I try to use to fix the world, they, are, they might be good things, but they are not impactful things. They are not eternal things. And I recognize that I'm personally really thankful I don't have to end here because I'd be, be really sad if I had to walk out and say, amen, let's pray. Uh, and it'd be sad because there's a truth that there is, there is hope in a place like this. There's hope in recognition that there's turmoil in my heart, brokenness in my relationship with others, and a broken world that I live in. And that hope is that there is one who can solve the problem of an unraveled world and has solved the problem of an unraveled world. And and the irony is, it's actually the one that was removed from the equation. The one that, we, that was tossed aside, whether it be in our own actions or the, the world's action, is the means at which I can live as I, was, as I was made, as I was made to live. And, and so not even focusing, not even focusing on my relationship with myself or others or the world, solely focusing on this part, because I really believe if, if this can be restored, then the rest will play out as they should, right? But what's true of our life is this arrow shouldn't even be here when we entered the world. It, we, we, our relationship with the Father was not present because we've looked at God and said, I'll do it my own way. And we don't pursue what he wants, we pursue what we want. We have a nature inside of us that God says, I cannot be in union with you. And so how, how might this relationship be restored? We see in Colossians 1, verses 21, here's, here's how it happens. And although you, me and you, were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, especially to God, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he, Jesus, has reconciled you in his fleshly body. He's brought you to himself through death in order to present you before the Father, him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And so the scriptures show us here that, that, that I, I was a part, I was alienated, I was an enemy of God, but what Jesus did through the death of Jesus, I can be presented to God holy and blameless. And some might say, well, how? I'm not holy and blameless at all. <laughs> There was a, there's a story as I was uh, six years old, six or seven, that has honestly been such a help for me to understand this uh, verse. And when I was six years old, I, I, I had the, really the cognitive ability to tell you what Jesus did for me. And at the church I grew up on, uh, it was a Sunday, and we had just learned, the Becky of our church talked about how Jesus took the wrong that I committed and put it on his shoulders and paid the penalty. So I and I should be like him. That's what our Becky used to say, our children's ministry director. Jesus took what I did wrong on his shoulders and paid for it, and I should be like him. And I was sitting there one Sunday, and I, <laughs> I was sitting there eating, and I believe I heard my dad tell my brother to do something, my older brother, and my older brother said, no. Oh. <laughs> you know, younger brothers is like, this is better than a movie. I went to the door and my head's like, what's going on, you know? And my, my dad said, son, you're gonna do this. And my brother went a step further. He said, shut up, dad. <laughs> like, if I was like this, my mouth went, <laughs> right? For a little brother, this is, this is better than a movie. I wanna see what happens here. And my dad, he grabs my, my older brother, he goes into the spanking room, and he puts him on his knee, and he got out the wooden spoon, okay? It's the one I think he would drill holes in so it'd go faster, you know? Like, he got the wooden spoon, and he was, and he pulled it back to give him a spanking for telling him to shut up, and, and I'm like, whoa, boy. And in that moment, I had a thought 
show up in my mind, six or seven years old. The thought was, I learned about a guy named Jesus today who took what I did wrong on his shoulders and our children's ministry director said we should be like him. And I was not saved at the time, but I, ste I stepped in the doorway and I said, Dad, I'll take Corey's spanking. <laughs> and, I, and, and when I said that, Corey looked up and do you know what I saw in his eyes? Hope. <laughs> I saw hope. And I saw a love blossoming in his heart that has never been present for me ever, okay, ever. And, and I looked at my dad, you know what my dad said? All right, son. I'm like, what? <laughs> you weren't supposed to say yes to that. But I didn't say that, my eyes are just big. I'm like, oh man. And, but to, before I finish the story, can I tell you what was present in that room? My dad was willing to build a physical example of the gospel in that place, right? That he was, what he was saying was he would allow my older brother to walk out of that room holy and blameless. Why? Because the wrong of my older brother and the consequence of my brother was taken off of his shoulders and placed on mine. That I would step in with his wrong and the consequence as he would walk out blameless, right? The father would look at the wrong of Corey and say, it's as if you did not do it because I will place it on your younger brother. And you might think, well, what happened? You ask me later. I'm not gonna, I'm just kidding, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I really, I looked at my older brother. I saw that hope and that love. And I looked at my dad and I looked at my older brother. And then I saw that spoon. And I said, never mind. <laughs> Someone said, I knew it. Oh, yeah, you know me. <laughs> and, and, I, and my brother started screaming, right? <laughs> and I never saw that love again, really. <laughs> so what's this? Six-year-old six -year Jesus Ryan failed to take the wrong and the consequence of that wrong on my shoulders. But let me tell you, what a good gift that Jesus did not fail on our sake right? That he, did, he didn't just look at the wrong and the consequence of the wrong for one person. He looked at the wrong and the consequence of that wrong for the whole world and said, I'll take it on my own shoulders, right? And he did not fail. He did not fail. So much so that he walked into the room with my wrong and that consequence as I got to walk out holy and blameless beyond reproach in the eyes of the Father. And now, and now this relationship with with my Father, with God the Father, can be restored, restored. And through that restoration, through that reconciliation, everything else now, I can live as I was made to live. My relationship with myself, my relationship with others, my relationship with the world, I can begin to walk as I was made to walk in each, in each of those. And this, is what's, and this is what's so cool. And we see this, we see the scripture scream this to us, how Jesus not only saves us, but how all things can be brought back to him through the cross. Just read Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile, to bring all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. So not just... The cross does not just impact my salvation, it impacts my very life. And when I look at Jesus and I believe in his life, death, and resurrection, my faith now, Jesus 
can present to me, can present me before the Father holy and blameless because of what happened on the cross. And he, that just, that's not the only thing that happens. Now the rest of my life can be restored back to God. How I interact with myself, others in the world can be restored back under the one who made it to be so. And what, what a tremendous, tremendous gift. And uh, last week, Doug shared a quote when we were talking about the life of Jesus through a guy named Ian Thomas. And he said, the life Jesus, he lived, qualified him for the death he died. And we spent all week on that, all, all last Sunday on that, that he lived in such a unique way, perfect and holy, and he lived in submission to God. And that life qualified him for that death but the, the quote was not finished. Let me finish the quote for you. Yes, the life he lived qualified him for the death he died, but it is the death that he died that qualifies you for the life he lived. Kind of a wordy, a wordy sentence. The life he lived qualified him for the death he died, but it's the death he died that qualifies you to live his life. And what was his life? His life was being at peace with himself, submission to the Father, loving other people regardless of what they did to him, and living in this world to make such an impact that has ripples, that has ripples today. And the life of Jesus can now be your very life solely because of what happened on the cross. The cross swings the door open for you to experience the life that God made for you to live, for you to begin to step into that life. The cross does not just impact your salvation, it impacts your, 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 very, your very life. And, and, and Paul, Paul is gonna show in the book of Colossians how that happens, how my inner man can be reconciled back to God. And we see this show up in Colossians 3, verse two. Paul says this, well, hey, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, that's important, is revealed, then you also will be revealed in him, with him in glory. Talking about a time to come. This is the emphasis here. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So, as those who have been, and so we just talked about put aside these things. So, verse 12, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Short summary, this is what, he, this is what Paul's saying. You have a life with Jesus, and that now overflows into your relationship with yourself, so much so that before Jesus, when you had greed, your members of your body, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, they shouted that greed. They shot that greed out into the world. When there was lust present in your heart, your, your, the members of your body, your eyes, your mouth, it, everything about you shouted that wrong, that piece of turmoil in your heart into the world. But what, but what Paul is revealing here, because of your life with Jesus, you can actually say no to those things. They do not enslave you anymore. You can put them aside, and not just put them aside, but put on something new. Gentleness, patience, kindness, humility. That I have the capacity to put aside the turmoil because he paid the price for it, and I can live in a different way when it comes to how I interact with, my, with myself. How wonderful is that? That the, that, that the cross, what happened on the cross, dramatically changes my life. And now everything I do can be reconciled back to God. What I do with my hands, 
reconciled back to God. Where I go with my feet, reconciled back to God. What I see with my eyes, speak with my mouth, think with my, with my mind, all of it can be reconciled back to God. And we see, we, we spend time showing when God is taken out of the equation, it's turmoil, brokenness, and vanity. But when we keep God in the equation, we see my relationship with myself as I'm made new. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. The new has, the new has come. But Paul, Paul's not just gonna speak to how my inner man can be reconciled in chapter one, and we'll stay in chapter one for the rest of our time. He's gonna speak to how my relationship with others can be reconciled. And we see this in Colossians 1.3. Paul says, hey, we give thanks to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love which you have for all the saints. And so he's saying, listen, you guys are loving each other well. And he's gonna, well, how is that? Why? Well, next verse, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Short summary, what's he saying? There is a hope for you in heaven which propels you to love other people. But what's true of that? That hope in heaven would not be true if you didn't have a relationship with the Father, which would not be true if Jesus did not die on your behalf on the cross, right? But now I can actually love someone because of that hope in heaven. You might say, well, what is that hope? My best guess, that hope is our belief of what is going to be true in heaven, meaning that one day in heaven, we all will be one. So why would we not hear? It's a hope that one day in heaven, it's a hope that I really believe in heaven, I got one master. So why would I have multiple here? Right, it's a hope that in heaven, there's only one enemy, and newsflash, it's not each other. So why make enemies of each other now? It's a, it's a hope that of what, what we believe will be true in heaven that motivates us, that pushes us to, to love other people now. Spurgeon puts it in a really unique way when he, when he refers to this verse where he says, me and you, we will be partakers of the same joy, of the same glory, and of the same love for all of eternity. So why should we not on the way there, right? And so it is, it is the beautiful picture that this source of life with God overflows into my relationship with other people. And now I see when, uh, when God stays in the equation, my relationship with others can be restored. Now please hear me, I'm not saying because you believe in Jesus, everything's gonna be fixed with other people. They, they, other people have the capacity to say no. But when I, when I use the word restored, what I mean is restored on your part. That when it comes to living with another person, the Lord's giving a thumbs up with you. Yes, you are loving other people regardless of what others are giving to you. So I'm not trying to create this picture. Everything's gonna be great. However, everything is great in terms of your relationship with the Lord as you love, as you love another, another person. And so uh, this, is, this is just the cross has such an impact not just in our salvation, but in our very, in our very life and what we do. Paul, Paul continues. He wants to not just reveal how my inner man can be restored back to God, how my relationship with others can be restored. He also wants to pull in the world here too. And he says in Colossians 1.9, for this reason, also since the day we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Summary, he's saying, hey, we're praying for your relationship with the Father to grow. Why? Well, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. This is the big one. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's saying, hey, we are praying that your relationship with God would grow so that your impact in this world would be fruitful. Before Jesus, vanity. After Jesus, fruitful. That the way I live, what I do, what I say, all of it, I have the capacity through the power of God himself to make an impact that doesn't just cover the world, but actually moves outside of the world in time and has an impact in people's eternity, which is what God always designed for us. That we wouldn't just live a life where our impact stayed on earth, but it would go far, far outside of that. And yes, yes, I understand. I understand that there's still disease. There's still famine. The world is broken. But my work in this world can be reconciled to God. And I truly believe the world will be restored one day to what it was made to be. And we see the, the world even groans for that according, according to the scriptures. And so uh, I work differently. I work differently. And we see when God stays in the equation, uh, my relationship with this world can be fruitful. Fruitful. The cross changes everything for us. It has an impact not just in my salvation, but in my very life. And if I, if I can be honest with you, there's a, there's a little bit of a frustration on my side when it comes to how I speak about the death of Jesus. Because I have a tendency when I speak about the death of Jesus to just refer to it as the cross. Like the cross is where I found life. The cross is where I went from darkness into light, from death into life. The cross is where I'm reconciled back to the Father and all things in my life can be reconciled to be fruitful, right? And, 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 that, and referring to the cross in reference to the death of Jesus is not wrong. And I'm not saying we need to stop. The scriptures do it. However, I, I don't wanna end today without using the right words. Because the truth of the matter is, the cross did absolutely nothing for my salvation. The man on the cross did everything. It's the man of the cross who took on what I could not in order to present me to the Father, holy and blameless. And there might be someone in here saying, well, who is that man? Who is he that through, through his blood can make peace with the Father and bring all things to himself? Who is that man? And I love the scriptures because Colossians 1 is screaming that we would ask the question of who is this man? And in the very chapter we've been in, just verses after, we see, we see in uh, verse 15, who is this man? Well, let the scriptures speak for themselves. Who is this man? He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who is he? Well, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, oh yeah, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's also the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, especially in our life. And for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. What a man. What a, what a savior, what a Lord. 
who because of his death on that cross for my behalf restored my relationship to the Father, which propels me to live as I was made to live. And now I am convinced, I am convinced that when the cross is big in my eyes, I can live a reconciled life, right? Choose to, choose to shrink the cross in my eyes or, or, or throw it out in general, regardless, especially when, as I'm a believer, choose to shrink the cross in my eyes. When I look at my relationship with myself, I'll probably choose turmoil again. Shrink the cross in my eyes, and when I look at my relationship with others, they'll probably end up broken again. Shrink the cross in my eyes or move it all together in my relationship with a broken world, I'll probably step into vanity once more. When the cross is big in the eyes of the believer, when the cross is the filter at which we intake this world, we can live a reconciled, a reconciled life. And I, I honestly think it's only fitting that we would remember that man who died on our behalf through communion. And some of the guys from the band are gonna come back up. And I know if you're like me, when the word communion said, it's like my mind goes pew, you know? <laughs> but if, if that's you, if your mind goes pew when the word communion said, I, I, I plead with you to just bring it back. Bring it back. Because the, the band's gonna play a song that really shouts the work of Jesus on the cross for mine and your behalf. And, and what I'm gonna ask is that we remain seated and as the song plays, the guys will pass out the elements. But as the song is played, I wanna ask that, that there's just three words on our mind as, as we hear about that man and what he did for us on the cross. And those three words are, thank you, Lord. Whether you just wanna, as the song is played, say them and, and, and say them to the Lord within yourself, or maybe you wanna kind of say it out loud, I, w- I welcome that, that we would shift our mind to the Lord to thank him for what he did on our behalf. Or maybe if you wanna express your gratefulness in singing while you're, while you're seated, please, please feel free. But I did not wanna leave today without thanking him for what he did on our behalf. And after the song, I'll come back up and, and we'll, take, we'll take together. Sorrows live of God by his own betrayed. a man wrath of God has been on Jesus Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took.
take, I also want to give us a couple minutes or a couple seconds to examine our own hearts. The scriptures say we should do so as we take together, specifically where there's sin that may be present in our lives. Maybe there's a place in your life that you have removed God from the equation and tried to restore a broken world by yourself. This time is, this time's for you. Or maybe you've been living in unraveled sin and have not brought that to the Lord, this, this time is for you. And so let's take a couple seconds to bring that before the Lord. Amen. These elements, we, we don't believe, does anything for our salvation, but rather they're symbols of what he did for our salvation. That the cracker symbolizes how his body was broken for us, and the blood symbolizes how his blood was, or the juice symbolizes how his blood was shed for us. And we do this because it does us good to remember what he did. And, I, and, and I, love, I love how we take this time consistently because it is often the reset of the cross in our own eyes on a consistent basis week in and week out to remember his work on the cross on our behalf and it does us good to do so. And Jesus asks it of us. And so as we take, I wanna ask that we would actually stand up together. We can stand And I want, us, I want us not just from a guy on stage reading some verses, but I want us as a body to remember the man who died on our behalf. And so we're gonna read Colossians 1, verses 15, and the next five verses together as we remember who he was. And so let's read together. This is Colossians 1, 15. He, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, amen. So with him in mind, let's take. I hope, I hope today your, your faith was encouraged in the man of our faith, the one who died on our behalf so that we could live a life that he meant for us to live. And we, we think it's only fitting that as a body, we would sing and praise him for that as we step into a new week. reception area, any questions you have about the church. If you wonder too, hey, what does the cross mean for me? I've never really thought about that so much. Don't leave here without asking some questions. We'd love to let you know uh, what the man of Jesus uh, has done for us on our behalf. And he's done that for all who would call on him. So uh, I encourage you, if you're not sure, ask somebody. We'd love to walk you through that. God bless, friends. We'll see you next time.